So let's get into tonight's session. So I'm going to kick off with a little bit of neuroscience. And again, I'm not a neuroscientist. This is just what I've learned over the years. So if I make any sort of errors here or I mispronounce a word, because there's always so many long words when it comes to science, isn't there? Please do forgive me if I mispronounce this. But this is stuff that actually, if you've done that fight, flight, freeze, fawn now, isn't it? Training, where they talk about, um, I can't remember what the guy's called, but he talks about your um sam he i think he's essex based so you might have heard of him kareem you might have heard of him as well i can't remember his name but he talks about um the prefrontal prefrontal cortex um and the amygdala and it triggering um a threat response and then a sort of he calls it flipping the lid so the prefrontal cortex is disengaged and we think with the the chimp brain the amygdala and the limbic system and stuff that's literally what we're going to be talking through today but i don't know if anyone's had that training where the guy talks about children flipping their lid and and feeling dysregulated and then coming back and having to basically re-engage the prefrontal cortex part of the brain this is the brain by the way if you haven't if you haven't cracked onto that if you listen to the podcast you're thinking what is he talking about i've got my hand up making a brain um i don't know if anyone's seen that training anyone done that training it's really really good but that's the same system that we're going to be talking about today okay prefrontal cortex and the limbic system so when we get stuck in what i call the maze i got this concept from someone else when we're thinking about getting stuck in the maze this is when we get stuck in a in a a thought loop and it might be a positive thought loop very 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 rarely it's very rarely positive almost always it's negative and it's usually when we are triggered by something and essentially when we are experiencing negative thought loops and negative thought patterns for example something happens at work and you bring it home with you or some or your partner says something and you hold on to it for days and days and days and you don't want to hold on to it and it's really affecting your mood and it's affect, starting to affect your mental health and it's starting to really wear you down you don't want to hold on to it but for some reason you just can't seem to let it go let me know in the chat who has experienced that before i think we probably could all put our hands up something happens and we can't seem to let it go and when we hold on to it for a day it's a negative experience when we hold on to it for a week or or a few months we're having a a, a rough patch we're having a bit of a rubbish time when we hold on to it for months and years it starts to become a personality trait we are the person who can't let go we are the person who holds on to things who ruminates who lets ourselves be sort of pulled down this spiral into this pit that is the, the danger of the maze. The longer we stay in the maze, the thought, the thinking maze, the mind maze, it's sometimes called, we then start to take that on as part of our identity. And this always happens for a lot of people with negative thoughts. We get stuck in a loop, stuck in a way of thinking, stuck in the maze, and we can't get out. So th- essentially, how we get to the maze in the first place, we need to remember that we've got a negativity bias, which we're going to talk about in a second. Your brain is on always on high alert for dangers, threats and negativity. Once upon a time, that kept you alive, that kept you safe. However, nowadays, it's a lot less useful because everything can be perceived as a threat. For example, back then, it was when, you know, a a rival tribe came chasing after you with spears or a bear jumped out of the bushes. Now it's the to-do list. It's a child in your class being dysregulated with their emotions. It's an, I need to call them, it's a Tricky email from a parent or a colleague. It's something being dumped on your desk last minute. These things are likely to be perceived as threats by your brain. So what happens, going back to that sort of brain model, in that sort of very very old part of the brain, if you think about the brain as an onion, where the the center is the older bit if this is not scientific at all but the center is the older bit and it's sort of grown out and had layers added to it um so to speak that really sort of old part of the brain part of that part of the limbic system which is essentially your your sort of alertness your emotive 
system okay it puts you on habitual response sort of quick non-thinking sort of emotional brain not logical brain a big part of that limbic system the first bit is your amygdala and your amygdala picks up on threats and it's it's sort of size of a walnut down here on the tip of my thumb right and this amygdala picks up on the threat and the blood that was going to your prefrontal cortex one of the newer parts of the brain the the logical reasoning part of the brain the blood that was being sent to there then gets diverted to the away from the prefrontal cortex to this limbic system, which is like my thumb here. Okay. And it, and that is triggered by the, the amygdala picking up the threat. It's a bunch of, it's a bunch of sort of um, neurons that pick up on, pick up on things, become threats. Right. And like I say that triggers the limbic system, this emotional sort of response system. And again, this can lead us to that whole fight, flight, freeze, fawn thing that we talk about with children quite a lot. And when that happens, we are triggered. Think of that as your trigger. But the problem is, is we don't get triggered, fix the problem and let it go. No, no, no. The human brain doesn't do that because that brown bear might come back out of the bushes later on. We can chase it away, but it might come back. You can chase away, you know, an issue. You can regulate and sort an issue with the child, but that issue might come back to you. Same as your workload, as email from a parent is in your partner doing something or most likely let's be honest not doing something that you asked them to right that can come back and so what the brain does it's got this weird thing where it will keep you in a loop okay and we're going to talk about the, these loops being 90 seconds later on but it keeps you in this maze and like i said the longer we allow ourselves to stay in this maze it becomes from an experience it becomes a bad day like one bad thing happens we ruminate it becomes a bad day then it becomes a bad patch you know, then it becomes, like I said, a personality trait and it escalates and escalates and escalates. And then our identity is ultimately changed because of it. The problem is, is that when, for example, let's take somebody, um, someone, I don't know, a colleague walks down the corridor and you think they give you a nasty look. Just use that example. OK. When you see that colleague again after that experience, you're straight away reminded again of that experience. You see them and you're like, oh, threat, amygdala goes blood goes away from the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex, limbic system is up and running and, and on alert. We're triggered because we relive that experience. Okay. We remember. And again, thinking more, you know, for example, think about, um, it could be your workload or your emails, right? That's a really big trigger because you're always seeing those. It could be a child who finds it difficult to regulate their emotions or struggles with their behavior, right? Every time that child makes a sudden movement, your amygdala is like ding 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 here we go again and we can stay sort of stuck in these these negative loops and we can stay on high alert we replay and we relive that experience and therefore we have the reaction again and again and again and we find it really hard to pull ourselves out of it so i'm going to move away from talking more about for example children's behavior and i'm going to talk more about you and situations where it's to do with workload where it's to do with your eating for example you've eaten something less optimal that you weren't planning to and then you just beat yourself up and you beat yourself up and you stay in that loop so those are the examples that i'm going to talk about i'm going to make this about more about you than sort of the children today so we get stuck in our way of thinking we get stuck in these oh have i double i've double done that one hope i haven't missed a page out we'll see um so on top of this all happening right? You're stuck in this loop. On top of that, we've got to remember, we've got these really unhelpful biases, right? We always know that we focus more on the negative. We do. We have that negativity bias like we've really explained, okay? We focus and hold onto negative experiences. And the most frustrating thing about all of this is that we easily forget the positive experiences. If you went and you got your hair cut 
and you walked into school and someone went, oh, I love your hair. You look amazing. What do you do? Let me know in the chat. Pop it in. If you went into school, you just got your hair done or you, you went for a new style and you walk in and everyone's going, oh, I love your hair. You look amazing. You look incredible. Or you've you've lost a bit of weight and you, you're trying a new outfit on. Or you walk in and you've, I don't know, you've been on holiday and you feel amazing and you know, you've got a lovely tan or whatever it is, right? You walk into school and someone compliments you. Honestly, be completely straight with me. Let me know in the chat. How do you normally respond to that situation when someone compliments you? How do you normally respond to that? Let me know in the chat. What do you do? What do you say? Do you go, oh, thank you. Yeah, I feel amazing. What do you do when someone comes to you and says, you know, um, well done, well done, you look incredible, or, oh, what a lovely haircut. It really suits you. What do you normally do? Sam says, if it's due of weight, I'll always say, oh, thanks, still a long way to go. So Sam, you're sort of half accepting that compliment and then you're half deflecting it a little bit. Is that fair to say, do you think? Because it maybe feels a little bit uncomfortable. Normally say, oh, thanks, but don't take it on board. Yeah, definitely not taken on board. Oh, don't be silly. Okay, so you're sort of saying, oh, you're being silly. You're mucking about a bit. You don't know what you're talking about, you know. Back the, neg back the compliment away with a negative comment. So shoot down their positive with a negative about yourself. Sometimes say thanks. Sometimes just deflect it. Excellent. But it will make me smile. Oh, that's good. That's good. So there is some sort of acceptance, but then maybe a bit of deflection as well. Okay. So when it comes to positives, someone pays you that compliment. You react in that way. Then you go about your day. How do you, do you often go home and remember that compliment? Do you remember that compliment at the end of the week? Do you remember that compliment at the end of the month? Probably not. But if you go into school and you have a really crappy morning, and I mean five things go wrong in the morning, five things that your reality doesn't meet your expectation. You've got a big disappointment gap here. Five things go wrong. What do you do? You say, I've had a really bad day today. Quite often, I'll be chatting to one of you. There's plenty of you. And at least one of you will say, oh, I had a really terrible day. And my thing is always, have you had a terrible day or has something terrible happened within your day? Because what we're doing is we're trying to get you out the maze, right? We're trying to get you unstuck there because it hasn't been a terrible day. You've had something terrible happen in the day. And then we're going to show you how to, how to sort of unwind that later on. But then a couple of days like that, or even a couple of really tough situations in a week, it's been a really terrible week, been a really horrible week. This person did this. This person said that to me. We stay stuck in the maze. We stay ruminating and ruminating the same thing again and again because we have the negativity bias. Then we have that confirmation bias. Remember, our brain is always looking for evidence to prove you right. You're feeling negative about the day. You then come, your brain confirms that negativity by saying, yeah, you know, you're right, Kareen, right? Your brain is saying, right, you're right. It has been a crappy day. Look, this, 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 this. All this crap stuff happened. It's been really, really terrible today. And then what happens? You stay stuck in the maze and you spiral and you spiral and you spiral. That is often what happens with these negative thoughts. But we need to cut straight through that. And I need to be completely honest and open with you right now. Life is not fair. Life is not going to be fair. OK, we need to stop expecting again, expectation, reality, disappointment gap. We need to stop expecting things to always go our way. We need to stop expecting the children to make the right choices. We need to stop expecting our head not to e Is that the right way around? We'll go for that. We need to stop expecting our head not to email us at 12 o'clock at night. Also on that one, why are your emails on your phone and why are you checking them at 12 o'clock at night? But that's by the by. We need to stop expecting other people to do what we want of them. Obviously, we'd hope that. But if we expect it and it doesn't happen, we are always going to be disappointed. I'm not saying 
be a pessimist and always look for the worst in every situation. I'm saying look for the best, but be realistic. Expect hope for the best, but expect it not to happen sometimes. Life is not fair. Things will always go wrong. You will always have more plates to spin than you possibly can. The scale is going to have times where it doesn't reflect your progress if you're on a weight loss journey. People are going to let you down. You ask your partner to go shopping, they forget. You ask your partner to do the kitchen, they forget. These things are common. These things happen, right? Life is not fair. We are, unfortunately, none of us are the center of the whole universe. Life is not going to work for us all the time. And if we expect it to, we are always going to feel negative and feel let down. Expectations are not going to be met sometimes. That is reality. Doesn't mean it's been a terrible week. It doesn't mean that we are stuck in this really negative place. Life is just like that sometimes. And it sucks. It's rubbish. But it's how it is. So we need to have that expectation and reality a little bit better aligned. What I want to remind you of is your circle of control. So when life is not fair, when workload is ridiculous, we know that the culture and the climate of teaching right now is pretty terrible. Let's all be honest in, in, in not in all schools, but in a lot in, in a lot of schools. Remind yourself of your circle of control. You cannot control anything other than your thoughts and therefore your actions. It's impossible. You cannot control what somebody does, what somebody says. You can influence in you know, a little bit, but you will never be able to control what someone does or says or what happens. It's impossible. So we're going to be talking a lot about sort of stoicism today. And the stoics really, really massively, strongly believed that if we control the controllables, and again, do what you can with what you have, where you are, that's where it comes from. If you can control the controllables, you are doing everything within your power. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how that's going to work. So these negative thought patterns getting stuck in this maze, how are we going to get out of it? How are we going to get off the hamster wheel? So we're going to have four stages. We're going to notice what's happening and how we're feeling. We're going to create space to reflect on it. We're going to choose our response. And then we're going to go and we're going to respond. And sometimes I talk to you about my sort of three step thing that I mentioned quite a lot. Face the facts that uh, face the facts of what has been. That's kind of like noticing and creating space all in one. Learn the lesson that you can learn from it. That's kind of like choosing your response and then focus on the future. That's kind of like responding. So face the facts of what's happened. Learn the lesson that you can learn from it, because life is if there was ever a meaning of life, it's to learn lessons pretty much. And then focus on the future. That's sort of a, a shorter version of this. Notice what's going on. Create space for yourself to make a reasoned, rational decision. Choose your response and then go away and do it. So let's get into a bit more detail on that. So you're stuck in a loop. Let's come up with an example. What should we say? Let's say you've had a lesson observation and you thought it went really, really well. And someone's come in and they've be, they've given you really crap feedback in terms of how they've delivered it. They've said, oh, yeah, this thing was all right. And then they've given you five things to work on. And you're left feeling from what you thought was a great lesson. You're feeling really deflated and defeated. And you could probably replicate that from various things. Could be displays, could be emails, could be workload. That situation where someone gives you that feedback, but you don't feel you deserve, that could be replicated in a number of areas. So let's say that thing happens to you. Or it could be with your nutrition as well. Could be to do with, you know, your eating and maybe the weekend and socializing, right? Notice how you're feeling in that moment. So the way that our sort of, um, have I spoken about this? No, I haven't. Um, the way that our 
uh, emotional responses. Remember that that amygdala and the limbic system, right? The way that that works is that technically every 90 seconds or so, our emotional response will sort of come to an end. So something happens, for example, our partner says something to us, it triggers us and we feel we feel a real sort of physical emotion, a real sort of visceral emotion. And that kind of lasts for 90 seconds. We're in that maze for 90 seconds. Towards the end of that 90 seconds, that emotional response, the physical part of that, you know, clenching your fists, feeling hot, feeling like you just, you know, you're seeing red a little bit, that comes to an end. So every 90 seconds, we've got an opportunity to get off this hamster wheel. The problem is most of the time we don't. We ruminate. We remind ourselves that our partner or our sibling or our parent or whatever did this thing. They said this thing. We we go around the hamster wheel. We stay stuck in the maze. So notice how you're feeling in that moment. And on that, when you are feeling something, again, we want to notice the emotion and the feeling. We don't want to notice the what has happened so much. OK, we want to sort of notice how how we're feeling about it. You need to remind yourself that your thoughts are not facts. So when we're thinking about what's happening, we need to be really sort of honing in on, okay, what has actually happened? What are the objective truths here? What are the facts? If I was a fly on the wall, what would I have seen? Because that's very, very different often to what we think has happened or what we perceive has happened because of our biases, because of our past experience. So notice how you're feeling in that moment. Try and note and let, you know, name that emotion, note it, notice it. Note that your thoughts are not facts. And if you struggle with this, I always say, take your thoughts to thought court. So if you had a jury looking at you and judging your thoughts of are they fact or are they thoughts? What would the jury say? Would it say that is a thought or would it say that is a fact? 99.9% of the time, the jury, excuse me, would rule against you and say, nope, that's just a thought. That's not a fact, because most of what we our emotions are based on thoughts and not facts. So we've done that. We've taken a second. We have noticed. Now we need to create space. So we stand back. We take a big, deep breath, for example, really big, big, deep breath. And then we exhale. But when we exhale, we really try to undo those physical responses that have happened. So what happens when we are triggered? OK, uh, for most emotions, really, we will clench our jaw we'll tighten our shoulders we'll become very, very tense. We might frown our brow. You know, all these sort of physical things happen when we are triggered usually. And we want to sort of undo those a little bit because by undoing the physical, we can then affect the emotional and the, and the, and the psychological response in the brain. So we take a big deep breath and we exhale. We don't just go, right? We go and we sigh. We let it out. We get it out. And we unclench our jaw, we un, we relax our brow, we relax our shoulders and we literally take a massive deep breath. If you don't want to do this in front of people, you take yourself out of the situation and you go elsewhere and you just really, you let it go. And as you exhale, you imagine, oh, punching my desk. As you exhale, you imagine really breathing it out and letting it go almost like a balloon. OK, you just get it out of you. You get rid of it. And then you go back in. I want you to remind yourself. So there's still in that in that create. We're still creating space here. OK, so you've taken that big deep breath. We've exhaled. And I want you to remind yourself of the circle of control. Ask yourself, what can I control in this situation? Because most of everything that's going on around you, you cannot control. And that might sound a bit disempowering, but actually, I think it's the opposite. It empowers you to know what you can focus on and what you can control. So remind yourself of what you can control. And then this is probably the most challenging part. But I want you to imagine physically drawing a line and letting it go. 
draw a line and let it go. Because at the end of the day, if we allow ourselves to stay stuck in that maze, pottering about, we are never going to get out. We're going to ruminate and it's going to pee us off for weeks and months. And we can't allow ourselves to stay in that negative headspace. So we draw a line. Imagine putting down a big, heavy bag. Imagine letting go of a hot piece of coal. Imagine letting go of a balloon. Whatever visualization helps you, let it go. Get it out. Draw a line. Let it go. Then we get on to choose. Now we are. So we notice, create and choose. Choose a response to that to that situation. You've just realized that actually there's not much that you can do. There's not much that you can control. And I'm going to show you a flow chart in a second, which is probably the most liberating flow chart you'll ever see. What is it within your circle of control? Control the controllables. If you can't control it, if you can't change it, don't worry about it. And I know that's easy. Oh, just don't worry about it. No, it's not easy. But we need to practice this. Practice this when times are good, when times are easy. So when you do have something very, very challenging, you are well-practiced and well-versed in it. It's not an overnight fix. You're not going to do this once and it's going to fix the world, right? It's not, it's not going to happen like that. But it's a skill. It's a skill of letting go because that's really, really important. You have a certain amount of peace. We need to put boundaries up. We need to protect your peace because you've always, already got so many things coming in. We can't let your own negative thought loops bring you back down further. So we control the controllables. We choose. Okay, here's the situation. What can I do about it? Right? I've been given this extra task that is completely unfair, completely unreasonable. What can I do about it? Well, I could come up with a solution so that I don't have to do it. And I could go in back and speak to the person. I could raise my concerns. I could go to my line manager. I could write an email. I could see if there's any way that I could get the work done more easily. I could delegate it. I could delay it. I could communicate with the person that gave it to me. I don't have time. And literally, if you've got a weekly timetable, remember Mr. Max saying this at our rewriting wellbeing event. If you've got a weekly timetable, you've already mapped in all your jobs. You can literally turn around and say, look, here's my timetable. You want this done by tomorrow? Well, I finished work at five, whatever. When do you want me to do this? Because if someone then turns around and says you need to do it in your evening, I personally believe you are well within your rights to say, but I'm not paid for my evenings. I don't work evenings. I'm not a shift worker. It's not that's outside my contracted hours. And unfortunately, in teaching, most people turn around and go, what do you mean? Just do it at home. Because that's the climate. That's the culture that most schools have at the moment or have had for a long time. But if more of us stand up and more of us challenge this and say, hang on a minute, Again, to get cheesy here, we're human beings, not human doings. If more people did that, that would no longer be the status quo. And people who would suggest that you work in your evenings will become the outsiders. They would become the people who actually, no, that's not normal. We're not, we're not going to work in our evenings. I'm refusing to do that. If more people set up boundaries, people coming into the profession, their boundaries, got off on a bit of a tangent here, their boundaries would be easier to set up. And again, we're starting from zero, trying to build up to 100. I completely get that. But if you in your school can start to control the controllables and say, right, look, I don't have time to do that extra bit of work. And more people stand up and more people say that things will have to change. They really, really will. Anyway, tangent there talking about schools. So control the controllables, decide what is within your control and go away and do something about it. OK, don't just sit on it. Don't ruminate. Don't stay in the negative maze. Control the controllables. And then we go and we do something about it. So we respond. Okay. We respond. We go and we we met, we choose, we do the action we just chose. Sorry. Now I want to quickly talk to you about reverse gratitudes because this is a really interesting concept. By the way, just going to pause for a second so I can have a drink. What has stood out for you 
from tonight's session so far about navigating negative thought loops? Give me one comment, just one thing that so far tonight has stood out for you. Ooh, nice cold tea. Yum. Who who love who doesn't love a cup of cold tea? Ugh. Let me know what has stood out for you. Give me one thing that you think you're going to go away and use tonight. One thing that you can actually take and implement. Pop it in the comments for me. Get them in. Get them coming in. So whilst you do that, I'm going to talk to you about reverse gratitudes. So reverse gratitude, it's not to downplay how you're feeling. It's not to downplay an emotion or a situation. It's simply to bring awareness to the grander scheme, the, the bigger picture, so to speak. So it's, it's again, want to reiterate, it's not to say, well, at least this isn't, you know, well, at least um, this isn't happening. And therefore you, the way you're feeling is, you know, invalid. It's not to invalidate your emotions or your situation or your context. Not what's not like that whatsoever, but what it is to do, like I say, is to draw your attention to the bigger picture. So for example, an e a parent sends you a really, really, you know, horrible email. We can think, well, at least I have a stable job. I don't know. There you go. Really, really simple one. Well, at least I can close down my emails and choose not to respond till tomorrow. Well, at least I have got 48 hours is our policy to respond to email so I can I can wait and I can come back with a call, call ahead. You know, come back with, you know, what's the word like? It's all about what's the phrase? Karma, karma heads. What's the phrase? I can't remember that phrase. Cooler heads prevail or something. I don't know, I can't remember what the phrase is, but you know, I can come back when I'm a little bit more, whew, a little bit more calm with myself, a little bit more sort of in control. Hey, parents sent me a really horrible email, but actually at least I've got 25 other parents in my class who are actually really appreciate what I do and are, you know, are really, really kind and their children have got fantastic manners and all this kind of stuff, right? If you how if you are in a really, really tough situation, this reverse gratitude, so at least I'm not, it's not to invalidate your experience, but it is simply to draw awareness to comparing it to, okay, actually, if I zoom out a little bit, at least I'm not back to this situation, or at least I'm not in this place. At least I'm not going through this. There is always someone who's going through something worse than you. And again, third time, doesn't it, not to invalidate your experience, but it can just help sometimes shift your perspective just a little bit. So you go, actually, that thing right now seemed like a massive mountain and it seemed like such a negative experience. I can't believe they spoke to me like that. But actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's one person out of 50 people in my staff and actually 49 of them are fantastic. I can't let one, you know, um, you know, poison, poison the well sort of thing, you know, whatever, muddy the water. If, if any of these phrases are right for the other 49, I can't let them impact our whole culture. Okay, it's one out of 49. I can't judge my staff based on that one person, whatever it is. So that can that that sort of premise of reverse gratitudes can be really, really powerful, can be really, really useful. So before I show you the control flow chart, it's going to go through some of these takeaways from tonight's session so far. Focus on what is with actually within my control. Absolutely. Fantastic. Your thoughts are not always facts. Excellent. Yeah. Great takeaway. It's a lot to remember when you're in the moment. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. It really, really is. When you've got that, you're in the sort of the center of the storm, right? You've got the tornado whisking around you. Any of these sorts of, you know, visuals, any of these sorts of images, you're, you're in the fog, right? Whatever. You can't sort of see your way around. It's really tough to remember this stuff. And it's even tougher to go and put it in place. Absolutely agree. Practice when times are good. OK, remember, the best time to fix the roof is when it's sunny. 
Worst time to fix a roof is when it's raining. Okay, so practice when things are a little bit better, when the sun is out, go fix your roof when the sun is out. And then when it rains, you're going to be prepared for it and you're going to be able to do something about it. Okay, you can't control everything that I can only control the controllables. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Great takeaways. Really, really positive. So to finish us off tonight, I just want to show you the control model, the control flow chart. And this is from um, Stoicism. And it's really simple. Have you got a problem? Do you have a problem? Yes, I've got a problem. Can you do something about it? Yes. Well, you don't need to worry about it then. Do you have a problem? Yes, I've got a problem. Can you do something about it? No, I can't control anything. Then don't worry about it. Do you have a problem? Nope, I haven't got a problem. Okay, cool. Nothing to worry about. And I know that this is sometimes people, particularly if you if you're if you had a really long crappy day today, you're probably looking at this going, well, you know, that's fine. And, da, da, da. and that's the other thing, right? It feels good to feel anger. It feels good to hold on to emotion. It feels good to really get annoyed at something and to to rent and to let it out and to get really frustrated. That feels good. We're built to do that because it is us expressing that. Okay, it's it's it's, it's good. Anger is, is a reaction to an emotion, right? That can feel really good. Holding on to negativity can feel good. Someone says something to you and you're holding that hot piece of coal and you're seething and you're thinking, well, I'm going to show them and. Who's getting burned by holding on to that hot piece of coal? Because they're definitely not. They don't even know that you're thinking about them. They don't even know, you know, that situation, that child, whatever, friend, partner, colleague. They don't know that you're even thinking negatively of them or wishing them, you know, not wishing them well or whatever you're doing. You're the only person getting burned. You're the one holding on to that hot piece of coal. If you can learn to let this stuff go, you're protecting your peace. You're going you're gonna to be so resilient. So if you've got a problem, Yes, I've got a problem. Can you do something about it? Yes, I can. Don't need to worry about it. Have you got a problem? Yes. Can you do something about it? No, I can't. Okay, well, then don't worry about it. Do you have a problem? No. Well, then there's nothing to worry about. It's really simple. And suddenly looking at it, you're like, oh, right. Okay. If I can control it, then I can go do something and it's not a problem. If I can't control it, then I've just got to let it go and let someone else deal with it. And if I haven't got a problem to start with, there's nothing to worry about anyway. And it can, just that, that for me encapsulates sort of what we've spoken about today alongside that sort of four stage. Notice, um, notice, create space. Notice how you're feeling. Create the space. Choose your response and go and respond to it. Anyway, guys, that concludes us today. Breathe. Yes, absolutely. Great takeaway. Big deep breath in. Big old sigh. Let it go. Again, really, really useful. That's rooted in psychology. It's physio your physiological response comes from the psychological response. If you can work backwards, change your, ph your physiology, that can change your psychology. So work backwards from result to the cause, and you can change how you feel about the cause. Anyway, team, I find that that um, that flowchart really, really useful. If you're listening back on the podcast, you probably think I'm crazy. I've been doing all sorts of hand gestures today. So you probably don't know what I'm talking about, but hopefully this has been a good listen anyway. Um, so yeah, if you're watching on, uh, on live or you're watching on the video, go take a picture of this because it is really, really useful. What questions do we have from tonight's session, guys? What questions do we have? Yeah.